0: This is Guns N' Butter.
1: It doesn't sound to me like Israel and the Islamic State are at loggerheads. As a matter of fact, we know that jihadists injured in battle in southern Syria have been transported over the Israeli border to be tended to at Israeli hospitals. Uh, There was a case uh, in northern Israel where a a bag fell off of a pickup truck. It was heading towards Syria and uh, a local farmer looked inside the bag and inside were uh, brand new black and white Islamic State flags. Uh, We also know that um, Israeli intelligence uh, has been working uh, with these jihadist groups, not only inside Syria, but also inside Iraq.
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Wayne Madsen. Today's show, Langley's Jihadists, from the Mujahideen to ISIL. Wayne Madsen is a Washington DC based investigative journalist, author and columnist. He has written for numerous magazines and his columns have appeared in the Miami Herald, Houston Chronicle, Philadelphia Inquirer, Columbus Dispatch, Sacramento Bee, and Atlantic Journal-Constitution, among others. He is the author of The Handbook of Personal Data Protection, Genocide and Covert Operations in Africa, 1993-1999, co-author of America's Nightmare, the Presidency of George Bush II, Jaded Tasks, big oil black ops and brass plates, the manufacturing of a president, the CIA's insertion of Barack H. Obama Jr. into the White House, Lafare Petraeus, and National Security Agency surveillance, reflections and revelations. Madsen has been a regular contributor on RT and Press TV and a frequent political and national security commentator on Fox News and many other network news channels. He is the online editor of WayneMadsenReport.com, whose investigative journalism motto is Comfort the Afflicted and Afflict the Comfortable. Today we discuss his essay, Born of the USA, The Real Origins of ISIL, which is included in the anthology, Isis is Us, the Shocking Truth Behind the Army of Terror. Wayne Madsen, welcome. Good to be with you. The headlines today read, Isis Claims Responsibility for Manchester Attack. 22 people have died and 119 injured after a suicide bomber targeted a concert in Britain with a nail and ball-bearing bomb in the worst terror attack on UK soil since 7-7. The Daily Mail's headline read, Slaughter of the Innocents. There were even two tweets from Islamic State that forewarned of a terror attack in Manchester. CBS reported that the suspect behind the Manchester attack is 23-year-old Salman Abedi. CBS also added that he was known to authorities. This terror attack occurring while President Trump is on a Middle East tour to Saudi Arabia and Israel. Your essay, Born of the USA, The Real Origins of ISIL, is included in the book, ISIS is Us, The Shocking Truth Behind the Army of Terror. You begin with what retired director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, revealed about the creation of ISIL, the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. What did Michael Flynn have to say about ISIL's origins?
1: Well, Michael Flynn, and of course, right now, Michael Flynn has a host of other problems. Um, you know, I mean, not everything Michael Flynn has advocated, I would certainly advocate, but he had like a broken clock uh, is, is correct twice a day. And so was Flynn when he basically uh, in a um, defense intelligence agency assessment said, look, the people, the people who are funding uh, ISIL in Syria and Iraq are groups supported by the United States. Uh, he, he actually went back and looked at what prompted the rise of ISIL, and it was Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and her, uh, her friend George Soros's ill-advised Arab Spring, which uh, saw the uh, overthrow of governments in Libya, Syria, Yemen, Tunisia, and for a short time, Uh, We had the Muslim Brotherhood running Egypt Um, and that series of events uh, where we saw the rise of these jihadist groups financed by the Saudis and we just saw uh, once again an American president throwing his lot in with the most extreme radical form of Islam on the planet, which is Wahhabism. We saw in stark display with President Trump. Doing the sword dance, just as uh, George W. Bush did with the Saudi uh, royal family, uh, the men only, I would add. Uh, and um, this this is the problem with u s. policy in the Middle East. and And Flynn's uh, assessment was correct. he He looked. He said, "Look, it's the United States that uh, is now uh, trying to isolate." the Syrian government, which we call the regime, uh, not the, you know, the recognized government of Syria. Uh, and he, he said, this is, this is a danger to our interests. Now, later on, of course, uh, Flynn was caught after he retired, um, accepting money from the Erdogan government of Turkey and, and, and ISIL had no greater, other than the Saudis and the Qataris and Emiratis. uh, ISIL had no greater friend than Recep Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey. Uh, uh, Turkish officials were reselling uh, Syrian and Iraqi oil on behalf of ISIL with all the proceeds going into the ISIL coffers. Um, So, uh, again, Flynn saw that 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 initial uh, support for these jihadists groups after the fall of Gaddafi, uh, Mubarak, um, uh, Ben Ali in in Tunisia and President Saleh in Yemen and the almost overthrow of Bashar Assad in Syria. This is what directly led to the problems uh, not only in the Middle East but what happened when ISIL began uh, funding uh, terrorist attacks. Uh, in Europe, the United States, and other countries. But uh, the situation with Manchester, once again, is very interesting because the the perpetrator, who apparently was a suicide bomber, was, as was the case in France and Belgium and Germany, known to the authorities beforehand. Why did they allow these people to continue? Uh, with their networking amongst the jihadist groups uh, to pull off this particular attack, which came which came right after opinion polls showed Jeremy Corbyn of the Labour Party uh, increasing uh, his support against the Tory Prime Minister Theresa May. This was very advantageous, the timing of this, for Prime Minister May and her agenda.
0: Is ISIL an outgrowth of al-Qaeda in Iraq? And who was the leader of al-Qaeda in Iraq?
1: Well, uh, ISIL is an outgrowth of al-Qaeda in Iraq. Al-Qaeda, which was run by Osama bin Laden, in turn was an outgrowth of the Arab Legion. The CIA arranged to have go fight the Soviet Union during the Mujahideen War in Afghanistan. Um, so the CIA has been closely connected to the grandfather of ISIS, ISIS, which were the, uh, the Arab Legion of which Osama bin Laden was one of the, uh, 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 jihadist leaders fighting in Afghanistan. Um, in, uh, Iraq, there were, uh, um, uh, several, uh, uh, leaders, uh, who claimed to wear the mantle of um, the, the uh, uh, Al Qaeda in Iraq, later the Islamic State. Um, but it's it's not certain that any of these individuals actually really existed. Uh, Zarqawi uh, was, uh, you know, the first guy who said he was the head of Al Qaeda in Iraq. But there's been uh, military, US military officers have been quoted claiming that Zarqawi was a construct of, of uh, U.S. intelligence, that he never really existed. And this was, this was done as a way to um, garner support from the Sunni tribes in Iraq because, as, as we know, uh, after the U.S. overthrew Saddam Hussein, which wasn't a wise decision either, since Saddam was able to keep these jihadists at bay, he was not a... Certainly not a jihadist himself. He was a Muslim, but he, his three favorite things were smoking Cuban cigars, uh, listening to Frank Sinatra, and, and drinking Johnny Walker Red Label whiskey. You know, that that's not... Uh, he's more like the Saudi uh, jihadist in that respect, the Wahhabist royal family, where, where alcohol is banned, but they all get drunk behind the, the, their palace walls. Um, but... Uh, but it's it's not clear whether there actually was a real Al Qaeda in Iraq, uh, or or whether it was just a a bogeyman that was set up by U.S. intelligence as a as a threat to legitimize our continued presence in that country.
0: Well, as you point out in your essay that's included in this book, ISIS is us. You go through the whole history of al Zarqawi how he was supposedly born in Jordan, etc. Then he uh, became a member of the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Then we find him in Iraq. You mentioned in your article El Zarqawi's involvement in the 2005 bombings in Amman, Jordan of the Radisson SAS Hotel, the Grand Hyatt, and the Days Inn. I remember those attacks as I produced shows on those bombings. That was a long time ago. And then, do you have any recollection of how many times El Zarqawi that the government has claimed to have killed him or that he's died?
1: Oh, oh countless, countless times. Uh, there were always news reports. I mean, it, it, it gets to the point where, and it's not just uh, Al Qaeda in Iraq and Zarqawi. How many times have we heard the U.S. has taken out uh, the, the, the number two of, uh, the Islamic state and such and such a location with precision guided musician munitions. There's no proof we ever killed any of these Islamic state people or Al Qaeda people, but there's plenty of proof that our so-called precision guided munitions have killed an awful lot of civilians, including women and children as collateral damage. So I would argue that the, when the Pentagon talks about his precision guided munitions, they aren't that precision guided, um, but uh, but but you know, Al Qaeda in all of its uh, in all of its franchises in the Arabian Peninsula, North Africa, uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, uh, and elsewhere. It's a very convenient organization uh, that you know the U.S. and its allies can use not only to maintain this forward presence. In Muslim and Arab countries, but also to justify these draconian uh, surveillance states that have been implemented by people like um, George W. Bush and Barack Obama and Theresa May and David Cameron and Hollande and I assume Mac- Macron, which is who's who's even more of a Wall Street creature than his predecessor in France and Merkel in Germany. This this bogeyman of Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, so forth and so on, is what gives them justification for a lot of their actions.
0: Now, also with regard to Zarqawi, the beheading some time ago, I guess in 2004, the beheading of Nicholas Berg uh, was supposedly done by Zarqawi. And as you point out in your article, a video found on the Internet and released by Rita Katz of Sight, uh, was, was this video. What do we know about Rita Katz and site?
1: Uh, Rita Katz, uh, she once was a, uh, consultant to the U S treasury department, uh, and their operation called green quest, which was, uh, an operation to identify flows of money to jihadist radical Muslim organizations in the middle East from U S uh, sources. And, uh, uh, it, it, it sort of got out of hand. Apparently, the Treasury Department and the FBI, the FBI in particular was not happy with her performance. Uh, I, I, I was told that the FBI saw her as a security threat, first of all, because she um, also has a relationship with Israeli intelligence, the Mossad. The group's site, Search for International Terrorist Entities, itself was started. Uh, by uh, people affiliated with Mossad. Um, Rita Katz is a, um, uh, her family, uh, uh, they were Baghdadi Jews from uh, Baghdad in Iraq. Her father uh, was hanged by Saddam Hussein for being an Israeli spy. Uh, she and her, uh, the rest of her family were able to escape to Israel, but um, we have an individual in uh, Rita Katz, who I believe is, is her, her so-called intelligence, surfing various websites. And we don't know who runs these websites. But when she she's the first to grab videos and communiques and just like with the Manchester uh, bombing, she was the first to uh, come out with the Islamic State um, uh, communique claiming responsibility for the attack. Uh, it, it, it it works too good um, she's always the first Turner her sight, which is called site um, I I'm, I'm very dubious uh, anecdotally I know that in the Washington area and I got this from an Israeli who actually uh, is is a social uh, not a friend but a social colleague uh, of hers that uh, Rita Katz have she will not patronize a Washington area uh, gas station or convenience store if she knows that it's owned or operated by Arabs. And it doesn't matter whether they're Arab Americans or not. I, I take anything that comes out of that site group site intelligence uh, with not a grain but a boulder of salt. I don't believe uh, I don't believe anything they say, unless you want to believe in Israeli propaganda.
0: I'm speaking with investigative journalist, author, and columnist Wayne Madsen. Today's show, Langley's Jihadists, From the Mujahideen to ISIL. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Who is the leader of ISIL, and what do we know about him? Now, you write in your article that there are two al-Baghdadis, Omar and Abu Bakr. What do we know about them?
1: Well, Omar didn't last too long either. He was um, uh, Islamic State said to have been out of Iraq. Uh, uh, there were several reports that he too was a construct of U.S. intelligence. Uh, so they they had to rebrand Al Baghdadi one, and they came up with Al Baghdadi two. And um, this is the this is the guy who claims he's the caliph of the Islamic State, which. Uh, claims, uh, territory from Western China, uh, uh, to, to Spain. Uh, you know, the, the, the group apparently has some, some thought that it's going to reclaim, um, the, the entire Iberian Peninsula, uh, for the, uh, the, the caliphate, as was the case during the Moorish, the Moorish control of the, uh, Peninsula. Um, again, uh, this Baghdadi, uh, He's um, always issuing communiques. There's been various reports he's been uh, severely injured in U.S. attacks. There have been a, even a few reports that he's dead. Uh, but here we go with another uh, person, uh, and and uh, who, who we don't even know if this is this this is a, an actual individual, or again another one of these CIA constructs. We do know that a few years ago, um, after the Syrian rebellion, um, Senator John McCain crossed the Turkish border into jihadist occupied territory in Syria, and he was photographed with a guy who was claimed uh, by many people in Syria to be Baghdadi, and of course, McCain later denied that he met with Baghdadi, but McCain, as we know, um, he's he's the perfect senator to be taken in by this sort of um, psychological warfare operation. Um, he has a, a predisposed hatred for Russia. Um, he, has, uh, he has this affinity uh, for the Saudis and Saudi-backed groups, whether they're the, the jihadist rebels in Libya or in Syria or in Yemen. Um, again, I think with with uh, John McCain, um, we also have a person who's who's uh, you know senile, um, and you know people Arizona last year reelected this guy to a six-year term, but he, he he sounds good on TV. So if you're running a psychological warfare operation, McCain is great to just repeat all the the talking points um, that Assad has to go. Uh, the people of Syria deserve better. When he talks about the people of Syria, he's talking about jihadist groups. They will be the ones that take over in Syria, just like they were the ones who took over from Gaddafi in Libya, and we saw bloodbath carried out there. Uh, uh, The Salafis sat back as uh, cops in Egypt uh, were massacred under the Mohammed Morsi government, Uh, and then that government was used as a justification for the military to step in. We have uh, General Assisi in charge of Egypt today, uh, who is getting along very well with Donald Trump, just like the Saudis are, because Donald Trump basically said in Riyadh, at the summit, that the United States doesn't care about human rights, um, that these these jihadist regimes are free to do whatever they want. And the Bahraini regime, which is a minority Sunni Wahhabist regime in, in that country, uh, was the first to act upon, uh, Trump's rhetoric and they, um, stormed the village of the, uh, Shia leader of Bahrain, the Shias are a majority of that, in that country and, uh, killed at least one person. So while there was this massacre in, in, in Manchester at the Manchester arena, there was also, uh, a, a Wahhabist, uh, attack sanctioned by the United States against the Shias of of Bahrain.
0: You have a section in your essay titled Senator John McCain's Consorting with Terrorists Exposed, and of course, uh, McCain is chairman of the Armed Services Committee. And what about McCain's Middle East advisor, or at least she was, Elizabeth O'Baggy, I guess her name is? You write about her. Who is she and what, is, what are her connections?
1: Well, I, I, I do know something about McCain. Um, I was uh, actually um, ahead of his uh, uh, campaign in, in Arlington in and Ale- Alexandria, Virginia back in 2000. Uh, that's not because I'm a lifelong Republican, I'm not, but I, I, saw McCain as, uh, at least one way to ensure that I, that any member of the Bush family would ever again occupy the White House. And if, if people recall, McCain in 2000 was not the McCain we have today. Um, uh, he was, uh, a lot more moderate than he is today. Um, and, um, um you know, he fooled a lot of people back then but I know that John, John McCain is a misogynist. Um, and you know, I mean, um, uh, he likes to have pretty women around his Senate office. Uh, he, we all know why he picked Sarah Palin to be his running mate in 2008. Uh, he had some comment about her physique, um, uh, which w- will remain, <laughs> which will remain only for the history books. Um, and, um, and and, and it's quite clear he had this uh, Elizabeth Obagi who, who said she was a, uh, a PhD uh, recipient, but it turned out later that she um, uh, did not she was not any, part of any PhD program anywhere. and her, her resume had been highly inflated. And I'm sure McCain didn't care because that's, that's not why she was hanging around McCain for her uh, supposed knowledge of Middle Eastern affairs. Um, But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, here's another case where uh, somebody supposedly has some sort of credentials. Uh, Her only credentials, apparently, is she's a neocon. And, you know, McCain likes to have neocons uh, hanging around him, And if they're good looking, even better.
0: What evidence is there that ISIL is a creation of the CIA and the Mossad? You write that there is every indication that ISIL had significant links to Israel. You write that ISIL absorbed most of the ranks of the al-Qaeda-affiliated al-Nusra Front Islamist insurgent group in Syria, al-Nusra Front coordinated its seizure of Syrian army positions along the Golan Heights border with Israeli defense forces. Israel struck at Syrian army positions instead of al-Nusra. Wouldn't such a move by the Israelis help the jihadis?
1: Yeah, they, they, uh, by the way, uh, the former Israeli defense minister, Moshe Yalon, recently stated that last November... Uh, IDF forces in the Golan came under fire from um, Islamic State forces, uh, and it was clear that it was a case of friendly fire because, as Yalon stated, uh, the Islamic State apologized to the IDF for firing upon their positions. Uh, It doesn't sound to me like, uh, you know, uh, Israel and the Islamic State are at loggerheads. As a matter of fact, we know that jihadists injured in battle uh, in southern Syria have been transported over the Israeli border uh, to be tended to at Israeli hospitals. Uh, There was a case uh, in northern Israel where a a bag fell off of a pickup truck. It was heading towards Syria and uh, a local farmer looked inside the bag and inside were uh, brand new black and white Islamic state flags um, so we uh, we also know that um, uh, Israeli intelligence uh, has been working uh, with these jihadist groups not only inside Syria but also inside Iraq uh, this has been noted by um, people uh, you know groups that are not on the US or Israeli payroll um, and you um, Yeah. Israel, uh, ISIL has not once attacked Israel. Uh, They have no plans to. Uh, They don't use the rhetoric against Israel. The rhetoric is against all of Israel's enemies. Hezbollah in Lebanon, the Assad government in Syria, the uh, Shia uh, government in Baghdad, and the uh, Houthi rebels in Yemen. Among others, um, it's as a matter of fact, you know, Obama, President Obama, was criticized because he used to refer to, as I did in the book, refer to the group as ISIL, ISIL, Islamic State of Iraq and Levant. Um, the Israelis chafed at that because ISIL sounds like Israel, especially when you see it written, <laughs> and and, and, and I, I, I was told by White House sources that Obama only did that just to stick it to Netanyahu, who he despised and still does despise. Uh, the minute Trump took over all the state department communiques, Pentagon communiques releases, changed it from ISIL to ISIS. And I think the reason for that is, is, uh, is clear because, uh, uh, the Israelis didn't like the term ISIL and still don't.
0: I'm speaking with investigative journalist, author and columnist Wayne Madsen. Today's show, Langley's Jihadists, From the Mujahideen to ISIL. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. You also write in your article that the intent of ISIL, that is, according to a top al-Qaeda commander in Lebanon, is to implement Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's clean-break policy that dates from the 1990s. The clean-break policy is complementary to the 1982 Oded-Yinon plan, which calls for the destruction of the modern Arab nation-states and the replacement with warring Caliphates and warlords, and of course, I think you know at this point a lot of people are familiar with this Oded Ye known plan. Do you mm. think the United States is using this plan along with Israel to coordinate what's happening with ISIL?
1: Oh, and I, I, I do, and I think this is what this is what uh, Trump uh, has signaled uh, at his uh, meeting in Riyadh. Um, I mean, he basically declared war on Shia Islam. He he took the side of the of the Sunnis, but he was doing that in the capital of Sunni Wahhabism. Now, not all Sunnis are radicals, but the Wahhabists are, and there is not one sect of Shiaism that's as radical as Wahhabism in in the Sunni sect. Um, now, I've been to Tehran, and. Uh, women can freely drive cars they can work in a, a multitude of occupations um, That's not the situation in Saudi Arabia where women are even are, are prevented from even driving a car. Uh, this is a society that implements 12th century uh, laws. if you if you were to go from Riyadh to Tehran, you would think you were going, uh, to a, a free country in relation to Saudi Arabia. And the Shias, unlike the Wahhabis, do respect um, Muslim shrines where the uh, Wahhabis don't believe in shrines. They, they, they destroy them. Uh, we saw this on display with the destruction of, uh, of, of, of relics in Syria and Iraq. Uh, Pre-Islam, pre-Christian relics. You don't see that situation in Iran, where ancient relics uh, of the Zoroastrians of ancient Persia are protected. Um, so, so Trump has declared war on what I consider to be a much more moderate sect of Islam, which is Shiaism. And of course, you find Shias in Lebanon, and they're represented by Hezbollah. Uh, you find uh, a Shia-affiliated sect in Yemen. Uh, they're represented by the Houthis. Uh, but, but Donald Trump declared war against all these groups. He he lumped the Houthis, Hezbollah, Hamas, which is, is a Sunni organization, but it's a Palestinian organization. He lumped them all in with the Islamic State and Al Qaeda. This is what a shallow uh, knowledge of history. But then we have to look at who who wrote Donald Trump's speech and who briefed him before his Middle East trip. His advisor, Stephen Miller, who is a arch Zionist from Santa Monica, California, who's an understudy of one of the most disgusting Islamophobes in the world, David Horowitz. Uh, this is the person who advises now. Uh, Donald Trump on the Middle East. It would have been better, and this says a lot. If Trump had listened to Steve Bannon, who doesn't have that kind of uh, uh, baggage when it comes to the Middle East, but instead he he listened to Miller. So, um, and it showed. This is Miller, of course, is a uh, somebody who would help promote uh, the Yonon plan and and Netanyahu's uh, clean break, along with. Uh, Trump's other advisor, Jared Kushner, uh, his son-in-law, who clearly comes out of a a uh, uh, a, a strongly pro-Israeli family, wealthy family uh, in New York, New Jersey, real estate.
0: Yes, that's right. I've noticed that uh, Steve Bannon has been demoted, and uh, he wouldn't have been nearly as bad as some of these people. Who have been elevated. And you mentioned uh Donald Trump in Saudi Arabia. There's that weird picture on the internet of Donald Trump, uh General Al Sisi of Egypt, and I guess it's the king of Saudi Arabia. Yes. At at an opening of some sort of new terrorism center in Riyadh, and their hands are on this glowing globe. And <laughs> And one of, the, one of the people that posted this picture said, quote, this
1: means war. I mean, the whole thing looked very eerie. Uh, even though I, I, I agree. I know the center, it's a center. The Saudis funded the center to combat uh, extremism. Uh, that's not the exact name of it, but something like that. Uh, you know, having, having a center in Riyadh, the capital of Wahhabism, Uh, dedicated to fighting extremism would be like finding a a center combating anti-Semitism in in Berlin under Adolf Hitler. That is how nonsensical this center is being in Riyadh. It would make make much more sense uh, to have it in Tehran. But of course, Tehran and the Iranians and the Shias and all the other non-Sunni sects of Islam and even moderate Sunni sects of Islam are the targets of Donald Trump and his uh, newly found Saudi friends. I would say that newly found is in quotes because uh, Trump, Trump uh, owns about eight properties, uh, include, including golf courses and hotel complexes in Saudi Arabia. So they've had a long history together. Uh, in as much as the fact Donald Trump was calling for bans on Muslims entering the United States during the campaign and talking about radical Islamic uh, terrorism, I I think he probably said, you know, to his Saudi and Emirati and Qatari friends, look, that was that was the campaign. You know, don't you you don't believe anything I said, because I certainly uh, would never do anything to jeopardize uh, my millions of dollars in assets in your countries.
0: Wow, that's interesting, Wayne. I didn't know that uh, Donald Trump owned a lot of properties in Saudi Arabia. Thank you for pointing that out. You write that former CIA chief John O'Brennan authorized the training of ISIL guerrillas at a secret base in Jordan's northern desert region and at another installation near the American Air Base at Incirlik in Turkey. Now, in the news, just in the last couple of days, there are military maneuvers going on uh, in the desert in Iraq near Jordan and Syria and there's some sort I think it's called al-tanif yes yeah uh what do you know about that and I've also read that uh, Russia has now put in special forces into that area as well and that there are um, there are some sort of Iraqi fighters uh, shooting at American planes that are flying over there
1: well yeah I mean um, what we had is um you know, everybody, it seems, is in Syria now. Uh, the Syrian government, uh, with Russian support, but also support of Iran, Hezbollah, uh, has been able to turn the tide on these jihadist rebel forces. And, they're, and they're, you know, the mere fact that there's now fighting in that tri-border area of Jordan, Syria, and Iraq is an indication that the Syrian army under uh, Assad is starting to re- reestablish control over its more remote borders, uh, including that one. So uh, that, of course, is not welcome news to the CIA. Which, you know, uh, it doesn't matter whether it's under Brennan or this guy, this uh, guy Pompeo. No, nobody ever sees um, uh, that that the CIA's uh, proxies are, are, you know, getting it handed to them on the battlefield, and um, uh, and, and now there's. Reports that NATO special forces are inside Syria. Now that 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 is the potential to uh, really uh, make this thing more international—to have Norwegian troops uh, uh, inside Syria. As one report was uh, just looking for some incident between Russian forces and NATO forces that could be used to, uh, uh, you know, start a wider conflict.
0: Well. What was the long-term plan of using ISIL in Syria? And obviously, what are they going to do if ISIS or ISIL really is wiped out? What was the plan, and and what do you think would be the plan if ISIL cannot topple Assad?
1: Well, the plan was, getting back to the Yanon and Clean Break, was to uh, divide these various Arab nation-states into warring principalities. Now, uh it, it was it's well known that if you know the Islamic state and the jihadists took over Syria and either killed Assad or forced them into exile. you still have to have some uh, place where the Alawites and the Christians uh, would and the Druze would feel uh, that they're safe. So there was talk about carving out on the coast the Syrian coast. Now this would eliminate Syria's um, Mediterranean, uh, access. But maybe that was the plan. Obviously, you, you don't want the Islamic state to have a seaport on the Mediterranean. So the idea was to take that that, that area where the Alawites and Christians are, are predominant, the, the port of Latakia uh, and Tartus, where the Russians have a naval base, and create an Alawite stand there. But th- then you'd have the Kurds in the northern part of Syria, possibly splitting off, either joining the Kurds in Iraq in a separate nation or having their own nation, but you would have you would have a split in Syria just like the three-way split in Iraq between the Sunnis, the Kurds, and the Shias. Um, uh, we've seen Yemen split into I don't know how many uh, 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 warring uh, areas and regions. You got the South Yemeni independence movement that wants. Uh, South Yemen's independence restored. They used to be an independent nation, uh, a socialist nation at that, very secular, something that the Saudis abhor. And we had, uh, you had Libya also broken into various uh, uh, regions. Uh, uh, now, it used to be three, Fezzan, Tripolitania, and Cyrenaica, and uh, they're trying to get that country back together. But this was all in the Israeli game plan, and it... And, uh, and it, and it fit the ISIS agenda very, or ISIL agenda very well because, uh, you had, uh, ISIL establishing its own emirate, uh, in Benghazi in the area around Benghazi and Libya. You had their, 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 uh, emirate centered in Raqqa in Syria, another one in Iraq centered in Mosul, which has now been apparently retaken by Iraqi and Kurdish forces. And, uh, and you had salience of, of. Uh, ISIL in, uh, in, in Yemen in places like Mukalla and the port of Aden, which uh, are now under not the control of uh, the Houthis, but under the control of uh, local tribes that are supported by the United Arab Emirates. I think it's very telling that the president of the United Arab Emirates did not go to Riyadh because the Emirates in Saudi Arabia are now basically battling their proxies or battling one another. In Yemen, with the Iranians supporting the Houthis, you've got the Saudis and and the UAE supporting different factions uh, for control of what's left of Yemen. And uh, um, you know, there's although there's no good guys usually in these uh, battles. I would say the Emirates, uh, from a, a moral point of view, have the upper hand because what they are trying to do is restore the independence of the former uh, People's Democratic Republic of Yemen, which is South Yemen and, uh, and give some autonomy to some of the, uh, tribes, um, in the Eastern part of the country. Uh, it should be also stressed that Eastern Yemen, Hondramat region is the, is the original home of Osama Bin Laden, the Bin Laden family. So the Saudis are very much playing on that fact because the Saudis and the Bin Ladens, uh, were longtime friends. And uh, everybody knows the Saudis paid Osama bin Laden off handsomely not to attack any targets in the kingdom as long as he was attacking the United States and the Western countries. That was fine. But, um, you know, I'm I, I doubt anyone in this Trump administration and not many people in the, in the Obama administration or the Bush administration understood all these um, issues that if you do one thing, it's going to have tremendous effect on other things in the, in the Middle East. Of course. And, and
0: you describe Prince Bandar bin Sultan, also known as Bandar Bush, as the godfather behind the creation of ISIL. You also oh. write that the House of Saad was the major bankroller of ISIL, and that uh, Qatar mainly funds al-Nusra, and that both groups work together. I'm speaking with investigative journalist, author, and columnist Wayne Madsen. Today's show, Langley's Jihadists, From the Mujahideen to ISIL. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. It was in the news that during the Iraqi liberation of Mosul, they were finding European, U.S. and uh, Israeli armaments left behind.
1: Oh, absolutely. The the Saudis were were buying weapons on the open market and they were being delivered, for example, to the jihadists in Benghazi. Um some of Qaddafi's uh arms caches, which when I was in Libya during the NATO attack, they were very concerned about what was going to happen to these, especially the 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 areas that the UN designated as stockpiles for chemical weapons. Uh not to fall into the hands of of these jihadists, and sure enough, uh, that that pipeline started from, you know, these these arms warehouses, uh, and and the the arms were being sent to Turkey, Erdogan's Turkey, where they were then being delivered to the jihadists in Syria. That whole issue with the Benghazi attack, nobody ever really, very few people got that that. Ambassador Stevens was not really an ambassador. He was a State Department arms broker who was brokering the transfer of weapons from from the former stockpiles of Gaddafi through Turkey to the Syrian jihadist rebels. And it was a deal that turned bad. You know, when you're in the mercenary and arms smuggling business, bad things could happen. And I, I was one of the few that you know, with all this ad, you lay, oh, they killed an American ambassador. Okay, he had the title of ambassador, but he was an arms smuggler. You know, uh, my sympathy strings can't be pulled too much for people like that because I know who the ultimate victims are going to be.
0: Well, how how do you explain his murder?
1: Well, I think what what happened is, you know, you're dealing you're dealing with uh, jihadist rebels who are controlling Benghazi, who have their hands. On some of these Qaddafi, former Qaddafi uh, regime warehouses, um, arms caches, arsenals, and you're trying to work a deal out with them because uh, the the last person Stevens met before that that compound what compound was stormed was the Turkish envoy in Libya, and it's quite clear what was being arranged here. It was an arms deal that went bad. You know, you you, you see these. You know, Hollywood movies where somebody goes in and they're trying to work out an arms deal with some unsavory group, you know, the 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 brokers, uh, you know, whether it's a bunch of narco terrorists in Colombia, the brokers are, are the ones who get killed. And that's exactly what happened here. Somebody somebody either didn't pay enough money or looked at somebody the wrong way or gave somebody the wrong kind of signal. And you know the the CIA weapons depot in Benghazi was stormed, and these Americans were killed.
0: Yes, that Benghazi uh, events were always presented as so complicated in a way that would uh, obfuscate what was actually going on there. So I think there's an enormous amount of confusion about that.
1: Yeah, I think I think there was a a, a combination of of uh, events that also led up to it. And I mean, it wasn't just the arms deal that went bad. Why did it go bad? Well, you know, we saw the Obama administration um, uh, all over the map. You know, there was this movie trailer that came out uh, that was very uh, insulting towards Islam. Um, and, uh, it, it, but we have to remember that this this occurred, the attack on Benghazi, the U.S. facility in Benghazi was on September 11th. 2012, and I still feel that the CIA, then run by David Petraeus, an arch neocon, you don't get any more neocon in Petraeus, and the people in the Romney campaign were trying to arrange for a hostage situation, Uh, and it could have been any number of U.S. embassies in the area. There were demonstrations in Cairo where they tried to get into the U.S. embassy there. That didn't work. There was another one in Sana'a in Yemen. That didn't work. But where did, where was there a su- successful attack? It was on the facility in Benghazi, which wasn't really a consulate or embassy. I mean, they weren't issuing visas to Libyans to visit the United States to go to Disney World. It was also an arms transfer operation. Um. And I think uh, that's the the security was not what it should have been. Um, The CIA was trying to deal with the very same people who attacked it. And uh, the rest, as I say, is history. And, you know, the very next day after Obama uh, was elected president um, in November, the very next day, General Petraeus was relieved of his duties as a CIA director.
0: Yes, and thank you, Wayne, for reminding me that that Benghazi killing uh, took place on September 11th. I forgot that. That's very significant.
1: Yeah, what, what would have been better for the Romney campaign than to go into October with an October surprise? You know, he was quoted as saying, Mitt Romney, that, you know, maybe we could, we'll have an October surprise. Except, it didn't work out. It didn't work out that way. But can you imagine if U.S. if, if Stevens and others Americans were being held hostage in Benghazi? Um, how the, the Romney campaign would have played that, and the media would have played that. We we might even had Ted Koppel back on Nightline. You know, day twenty eight, America held hostage, uh, and that could have spelled uh, 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 one term for Barack Obama and a Romney administration.
0: Um now that Russia that the Russian Federation has entered the war in Syria uh do you consider that a game changer and how has the Russian involvement changed the uh uprising i guess you could call it in Syria
1: Oh i think it, the Russia's uh commitment to Syria i think uh uh had had a lot ha- has a lot to do with Syrian army successes on the battlefield, um, the The issue is is at some point in time, uh, U.S. forces and their surrogates are going to be confronting Russian forces, Syrian army forces. We already saw some skirmish involving Iranian units inside Syria where the U.S. attacked them. It was a second such attack by the U.S. Uh, against either Syrian forces or groups allied with the Syrian government. And uh, I just would hope that, you know, we have this defense secretary named Mad Dog Mattis. Uh, I mean, he doesn't like the nickname because it was a pejorative because Mattis was known in Iraq and other places as somebody who did not value diplomacy over, you know, military muscle. Now he's viewed as one of the quote unquote more moderate members of the Trump cabinet. Um, it's it's amazing. Uh, we can only hope, though, that uh, you know wiser heads prevail on all sides because it sounds like NATO NATO special forces are now pouring into Syria, and if there is an incident between NATO and Russia, I can see how people like John McCain. And Mad Dog Mattis will be chomping at the bit to uh, exact revenge on Russia or retaliate against Russia. And you know, one attack, we already saw this Trump attack on that airfield where Russian planes involved in the the assault on uh, ISIS held territory in Palmyra. Uh, Now that killed Syrians, it could have easily killed Russians. Trump's right about one thing Vladimir Putin still enjoys wide popularity as the president of Russia if Putin had to get on television and explain that you know Russian forces were attacked by the United States and there were Russian casualties I think most Russians would support a retaliatory strike on on US forces in the Middle East and of course just like you know we've seen in movies in the 60s And 70s and 80s, that could easily lead to a wider war, including a nuclear war.
0: Well, exactly. And I mean, this is a very, very dangerous situation that the world is in right now, wouldn't you say?
1: Uh, I I think it's probably more dangerous than during the Cold War, because during the Cold War, I think there was almost like a a reluctant acceptance by the United States and the Soviet Union that, you know, there's certain things, you know, neither side will do to, you know, uh, sort of um, um, irritate the other. Uh, and, and there were there were rules of engagement. Sometimes we saw them get out of hand. Um, sometimes a proxy like North Korea would grab a U.S. spy ship uh, or Soviet planes would shoot down a Soviet plane or the United States would ram a Soviet submarine and sink it. Yeah, th- those things happened, but I think there was a reluctant, uh, maybe even not reluctant, agreement uh, by both sides not to let things get too far out of hand. And um, I-, I think all bets are off now because whether you like Lyndon Johnson or JFK or Ike or Nixon or Ford or Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, and as much as I hate to admit it, George H.W. Bush, you, you had... You really had adults in charge and and statesmen in quotes. I mean, they knew state craft. I, uh, some were better statesmen than others. And I think on the Soviet side, you yeah, had the same thing, whether it was Brezhnev, Khrushchev, Chernenko, uh, and, and Gorbachev. Uh, nowadays, you know, we, we've got people like Mad Dog Mattis, who, 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 unlike many predecessors, was not a former general, retired general, now running what, uh, the Defense Department, which usually was in the hands of a civilian or somebody with the civilian history. Uh, uh, and I think, uh, and then you've got, uh, you know, other other players involved, um, the Steve Bannons and the Stephen Millers and, um, and the Jared Kushners. We don't know much about these people. Uh, they do not have experience in statecraft. Now, some people will say, oh, Matson's just talking about he's promoting the interests of the deep state. Well, we all know that the deep state exists and and the crimes it's committed in the past. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having level-headed people who understand, whether I agree with their policies or not, is, is immaterial, but who understand how diplomacy is played and how statecraft is played. And I don't see a lot of that in the Trump administration.
0: Wayne Manson, thank you very much.
1: Good to be with you.
0: Been speaking with Wayne Madsen. Today's show has been Langley's jihadists, from the Mujahideen to ISIL. Wayne Madsen is a Washington D.C.-based investigative journalist, author, and columnist. He is the author of *Genocide and Covert Operations in Africa, 1993 to 1999*. Jaded Tasks, Big Oil, Black Ops, and Brass Plates, among many others. Madsen has some 35 years experience in security issues. As a U.S. Naval officer, he managed one of the first computer security programs for the U.S. Navy. He is the online editor of WayneMadsenReport.com. That's WayneMadsenReport.com. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yaral Mako, and Tony Rango. Visit us at gunsandbutter.org to listen to past programs, comment on shows, or join our email list to receive our newsletter that includes recent shows and updates. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Follow us on Twitter at GB Radio. These are some serious times that we live in, G, and our new world daughter is about to begin. revolution which is the evolution of the mind if you seek then you shall find that we all come from the divine Trying to steal your life, you know what I'm saying? Look what inside yourself for peace, give thanks, live life, and release. You dig me?